Oh, listeners, welcome. Welcome to A Coach's Perspective. This show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank, and they're our presenting sponsor. We're very grateful for Joe Turner, Kelly Polonis, and all of the team members over at Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors that we will mention throughout the show, Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. So we have we have a great show on tap tonight. I want to review a little bit uh, from our last show. Last show we had, um, I wouldn't call it a debate, a debate. I would call it a discussion. We had PGA slash LIV caddy, uh, currently caddying for Charles Swartzel, um, Heath Holt was here, and then we had PGA golf instructor Rick Grayson, and we tried to kind of dive into that topic of the PGA and the LIV and what is going on in the world of golf. So if you want to listen to that episode, you can go to a coachesperspective.com and listen to it. You can also listen to it on iTunes or Spotify, Verbal or Helium Satellite Radio, all under a coach's perspective. So tonight we are... Welcoming in the studio a former collegiate baseball player from Drury University and Hall of Famer. That is exciting. Hall is of exciting. Famer. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, I don't know that I deserve it, but it's exciting. That is really cool. Uh, a real estate investor, an author, a podcast host. Um, there is a long list of what this gentleman does, and we're very happy to have him um, here in the studio with us. Justin Skinner, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. And I forgot to say, former student at Hillcrest High School when yeah, I was there coaching. The most important thing. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of your Hillcrest days, and um, we're going to dive into um, a lot of things tonight. We have a lot to discuss, and we're going to be talking about um, your podcast and your book, Professional Failure. Uh, being able to dive into this concept in the sports world is kind of hard. Um, you know, you're not supposed to show weakness. Uh, you're supposed to be very competitive. You're not supposed to like to to lose. Failure is a dirty word. And we got to change that stigma. We've mm-hmm. got to make sure that we're generating the conversation to change that. And that is kind of, that's kind of your goal is to change the word failure and make it more of a path to success. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is to, to kind of flip it on its head and, you know, failures definitely get a bad rap. And I think failures get in the way of a lot of kids succeeding to be completely honest. And, um, it, it just gets to the point where they won't even try because they're so scared to fail. So that's the goal to, you know, whether they're a five or six year old or they're a 50 or 60 year old to kind of get them to just encourage them to action and act and then you know learn how to deal with failure because it's it's going to happen and i think you've got to look at this um inwardly i mean people that are listening we've all failed at different things in our lives um and you've got to you've got to look at that um within yourself but also look at this and listen tonight about how you can help others through their times of failure right. i think that is extremely important as well yeah yeah and you kind of touch about that like the competitive nature of sports and all that and i kind of talk about it in the book um, it's this weird, I don't know, balance of you're competing and you almost see like your competitors as, as enemies. And it's really easy to see teammates as enemies as well if you're not careful. So I think it is, it, it's a, a situation where you can take failures and you can take competition and it can actually be friendly competition, but high, high level competition. So, um, again, there's, there's a lot of different, um, I guess facets to failure, but I do love how failure connects us and it connects 
you know, um, I don't want to say enemies. It, it connects competitors and it connects so many different uh, phases of life, not just sports. That's so true. I remember when, when I was coaching, oftentimes if we had really intense drills um, where players were really being physical, going after it, um, intense, um, sometimes after that drill we'd pause and I'd say, go over to somebody that was guarding you and high tend them and say thanks for making me better. Yeah. And just shift that mindset of, of not, um, you know, they didn't try to, you know, of course when, when the action's going, they're going to go. I yeah. mean, they're going to try and, and win at all costs as they should. Yeah. You know, that competition well, when that whistle blows, you know, give them a high 10. Say, hey, thanks for making me better. For sure, yeah. And it reminds me of, of Nadal and Federer. I don't know if you watched a lot of tennis growing up. My grandma's a huge tennis fan. My mom still plays tennis. So I was around tennis, and I loved watching high-level tennis. So I watched Federer and Nadal, and they were such competitors. They were two of the best, um, honestly, to ever do it. But at the same time, they competed against each other, and they had, they had such a respect for one another. So you'd see them just go like toe to toe and they would be leaving everything they had and sometimes Nadal would win sometimes Federer would win but at the end of the match every time they come up and they pay re- their respects they shake hands and you can tell that they have a mutual respect because they know the other person on the other side is honestly making them better exactly what you're saying so I do think it's vital and I love that you had players do that because a lot of people just maybe step over people and they, they use them and they throw them to the <laughs> side. But instead, it's like, hey, thank you for making me better. I, I love that. And I don't know that I, I knew you did that, but it makes <laughs> so much sense why you had so much success. Well, it, it was definitely something that, you know, at first I would get funny looks like, what? Yeah. <laughs> she just threw me on the ground. But it it is a mindset. That's yeah. part of the culture that you want to have on a team is you want to, you know, go at it. And then you want to make sure that you respect failure you want to respect and be able to to learn from it and make yourself better yeah I love so let's go back to your high school days at hillcrest high school you know playing sports you know how did you handle setbacks and i'm asking about this um, at that age not mm-hmm. now how do you handle it but how did you handle it when you were in high school and and kind of what you know segue into what you think how do you suggest kids handle failure yeah i can even go back to middle school if you don't mind sure. i'll go back to my pv days and i know like my seventh grade year i tried out for basketball and i made the b team and it kind of crushed me to be completely honest all most of my friends made the a team and so here i am you know on the outside looking in and i think my parents encouraged me in such an amazing way that it's like hey if, you know it's not you're not getting the raw end of the deal you weren't you know screwed over because you weren't picked for the a team you just need to work harder and i think that really set the tone for me so eighth grade year, I went out and I made the A team in the eighth grade year. So I think I worked really hard. I remember Steve Alford uh, camps back then when he was <laughs> in Missouri State, and I got a playbook from him. And honestly, when it comes to basketball, I would sit out uh, at night and I would just do drills, do Alford drills. And I think it, it really helped me in middle school, and it helped me kind of build that work ethic. Um, and then I think I carried that in high school too because I know you know even the freshman team and the JV team, and you work your way up to varsity – you know, day one as a freshman, I'm like, I want to, I want to make varsity. Well, when you make the freshman team, you're still two steps away. So it's just one of those things for me. Um, you just kept working. And that's what I tell, you know, other people too. And other kids going through it now is just because you're not at the level you want to be, just find it within yourself, find someone that, you know, can help build you up and you can work with and just keep working. Cause it really, the, if you can work and you can be consistent, I think that's the key to all of this. You can't just work for a month and then take nine months off and expect to be ready. You have to be consistent day in and day out and really not only build physically but build mentally that if there is a setback, you know that you can come back from it. 
Right. That is so true. Um, I, I think I, I know a coach that has a sign hanging in his office that says, if you're not getting the playing time you desire, I probably didn't get the work in the off season that I desired from you, which is kind of, I mean, that's a bold statement yeah. and, and true, but it's so true. If you want um, something, you've, you've got to be able to, to work for it. And I, I can definitely, definitely. admire that. Um, you know, so you after high school, you go mm-hmm. to play at Crowder Community College to play yeah. baseball, and then you go to Drury University. Yeah. You end up having a stellar career at Drury University in just two years. You have a Hall of Fame career, really, in two years, and and you rewrote the record books, and, and that was uh, incredible. I mean, in 2012, they inducted you. And, you know, how did being a collegiate athlete help you develop those coping skills that, mm-hmm. you know, you hit these roadblocks in middle school, you hit these roadblocks in high school, and you get through them? As a collegiate athlete, how did it, how did it help you? Yeah, it definitely helped. It's Again, it's the same failures. For me, it was baseball, so it's learning to deal with that. And I know there were still moments, uh, even my senior year at Drury, where I didn't handle failure well. I know I get in slumps and... There's still one time that sticks in my mind that I think we were in the GLVC my junior year, and I wound up grounding out uh, in the tournament, or it was we had just won the GLVC tournament, and we were in the regionals, I believe. Anyway, we had uh, I had a frustrating regional, and I remember grounding out and throwing my helmet, and uh, Coach Nasby picked it up, and I always felt so guilty for that, just because mm-hmm. you know it's it's one of those moments where that's a moment where I could have handled failure in a different way, and I didn't, and then it you know looks bad on on. Coach Nasby's bar. He has to bend down. He has to pick it up. It's right. it could be humiliating. So I think for me in those moments, I still wasn't perfect, but I still had a lot of those same moments learning um, in college. But it, I would I would love it if more kids could realize this. You know, freshman year of high school, freshman year of, of college, the mental side of it because it really is the mental side wears on you, and it not only wears on you, but if you let it keep going, it wears on coaches. It wears on on other players. So. Uh, if you can figure it out early and understand your coaches there for you, they're not there to keep you in line and, you know, just do what you're told. They really are for your good for in, in most cases. So um, the, the sooner people and kids can figure that out, I, I think the better. Right. I'm going to go back to a statement you just said earlier is I wasn't perfect. How'd that feel? Oh, man. I mean, you know, the, do you, there is, it's almost rampant now that um, a lot of collegiate athletes feel like they have to be perfect. And there's nothing wrong with striving for yeah. perfection. There's yeah. nothing wrong with having that. Yeah. Knowing, though, that it's about that journey toward mm-hmm. perfection, that perfection, it, it's it's very difficult <laughs> to, yeah. to perfection yeah. it in a sport. Yeah, I think it's it goes back. I, I kind of think of the whole sunk cost fallacy. I've talked about that before, but they I think players – put in so much work and they are working their tails off. And honestly, I feel like kids these days probably work harder than we did back then, uh, even, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But with that comes added pressure because they want to say, man, I put so much time in this. I have to succeed. If I don't succeed, then my life is a waste at this point. I feel like there's a lot of those battles going on. So I, I feel like it's this trickiness and it's this balance of kids need to put the work in. They need to work hard. There's obviously there's no room for not doing that. But at the same time, they have to give themselves grace in just trying, like preparing. I'm going to go in the game. I may not perform the way I want to perform, but, you know, it's one game. And, you know, you may not perform in front of a scout or someone else you want to perform in front of, but you know what? You'll have another day. Prepare. All you can do is prepare and prepare to the best of your ability, and then you compete and you see what happens. And I think about, you know, you know, when you have scouts that will come and watch athletes, you have, you know, college coaches that will come and evaluate um, they're not fans 
And so you know, I used to tell a lot of my players, you know, you're going to miss a shot. Um, they're going to be watching your body language on yeah. how you handle yourself after you miss that shot or after how you get a foul or when you're in a timeout, if you're engaged and you're looking at the coach and you're paying attention. Yeah. They're going to look at a lot of intangibles. Um, they're not looking for you to shoot 100%. They're, yeah. not looking, they're looking for a lot of different things. They're not fans. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, you, I think athletes have to be reminded sometimes of that and hopefully it releases a little bit of pressure to, to play and yeah. to just do what you, you know, trust your instincts and play yeah. as hard as you can, put out that effort, you know, you control your controllables. How many times have you heard coaches say that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is true. easier said than done, but oh, yes. So true, so yeah. true. All right, well, we're going to continue talking about this. We'll take our first break. Um, um, going into the break, though, I'm going to suggest something to all of the listeners, especially listeners out there that have um, athlete youth athletes. There is a great Disney movie out there called Meet the Robinsons, and Disney is not paying me for this endorsement, <laughs> but Meet the Robinsons. And this movie has a great message, and it celebrates failure. It celebrates, um, you know, that, that failure is exciting because you're, that step, you're one step closer to success because you know what not to do. So I invite you to have a movie night and, and, and to watch that with your kids and Remind yourselves that Meet the Robinsons, that is a great movie. Remind yourselves that failure can be a celebration as you move closer to success. All right, we want to thank Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. We'll be right back as we continue our conversation with Justin Skinner right here on A Coach's Perspective. Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. It's owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact. Scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree. The ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. And I am sure that my guest, Justin Skinner, drank Highland Dairy Chocolate milk after workouts, correct? I did, correct. It helped you on that Hall of Fame path. Definitely helped me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are talking about failure. I feel like I should whisper it, you know, failure and how to cope with it and channel it um, positive. Um, my guest, Justin Skinner, has his own podcast and a book called Professional Failure. Um, one important concept, you know, that you have talked about along the way is is when you need help coping with failure it's mentorship. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, who some of your mentors are and, yeah. and how they had an impact on you. Yeah, I feel like I was just so fortunate and lucky to have just really awesome people around me growing up. And I really don't think I realized it until maybe, you know, 30 or 31, which, mm-hmm. you know, at that point I can still say thank you, but you don't realize it in the moment. Is it amazing just pause for a moment when yeah. you're a teenager and then you get into your 20s and closer to 30, how... Um, how much more intelligent people uh-huh. become. Yeah, you realize that, oh, <laughs> oh wait a minute. You don't know everything? Oh, yeah. that's, that's weird. <laughs> right. But Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's I wish that, you know, people would understand, you know, sooner rather than later. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as mentors for me, I go back to, you know, both my grandparents. I had two, um, two grandpas that were both farmers. 
they're both awesome. Um, they they taught me a lot. They taught me how to tell stories, how to work hard, and all of that. And I I got to grow up around them. So that was really really I was fortunate in that way. Um, and then my parents. My parents were both uh, amazing, and I feel like they were tough on me when they needed to be tough, and they were gentle when they needed to be gentle. And that's I think a hard hard balance to keep. Um, but they pushed me uh, in the right way, but they never pushed me too hard. And uh, I know I saw friends growing up that, you know, got pushed too hard and they got pushed out of sports or different directions. And um, there were, you know, consequences for that. But as far as my parents, I feel like they just, I was very lucky to have good parents. So uh, beyond that, I mean, coaches growing up, you know, I had a lot of great coaches at Hillcrest, at PV, and I still, um, even the coaches I didn't have, um, like you, and, you know, that I was around at Hillcrest where, you could, you know, learn from and maybe at the time I'm like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's profound or you're still, I'm soaking those things up. So again, looking back, I just feel like there were so many coaches along my path and, um, and then, you know, friends and family again, like my parents were great, but aunts and uncles own businesses. I just, I could go on and on. I feel like I could talk for an hour straight on all the people that have, Mm -hmm. you know, impacted my life. Um, but yeah, growing up, those were the big ones. I think that's wonderful, and and being a you know having that connection with people can be very empowering, yeah. and it can help you. You know, these people believe in me, so mm-hmm. I can get through this. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, you need those people in your lives, those unconditional mentors, and then you need to be a mentor mm-hmm. for for people as well. Um, when we're talking about um, you know failure, this is something I thought was interesting that you that you posted um, today, I believe, advice is only as helpful as your ability to discern whether or not it's beneficial to apply it to your own life. Yeah. And I like that a lot because we do need to develop a filter. So that's really important. Yeah. So how yeah. can someone do that? Yeah, and it's it's tough. I don't know that I have the, you know, the perfect answer for it, but it I really it is. It's it's a matter of discernment and it's a matter of if you let all the noise and every bit of advice to always filter in, there's always two sides of the coin. And honestly, there's probably a third side of the coin. (laughs) So if you let all that wash over you and you never, you know, filter it back to what applies to you, then, then you're just going to go crazy and you're going to just spin in circles. So I do, I, I, I love that. I believe that's by Sam DeFord, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yeah. Who's another Springfield. He's Mm -hmm. in Texas now. They, he's an amazing musician, but also very thoughtful. Um, But yeah, that quote was, was really spot on. I like it because we're talking about finding those mentors, but but I also want to make sure that we discuss finding the right mentor. Yeah. You know, not everyone may have your best interest yeah. at heart. And so finding a mentor is just it's not just someone that has more experience or that's older than you yeah. or has a loud voice or whatever the characteristic is. You you have to find a mentor that you feel like has your best interest at yeah. heart um, and filter through some of the advice that they Definitely. give. And I'm all for having multiple mentors too. Oh, you bet. Um, as, as many as you can you know, hold in your life and, and as many different areas as you can do. And mm-hmm. example, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but obviously growing up watching Tiger Woods play golf, like his dad was a mentor in, in golf and he was a mentor in some bad areas of his life too. And to me, if Tiger would have just listened to his dad in, in golf, and then listen to someone else in another area, it might have helped him. But I know he's had a lot of trouble, and it's unfortunate because he may be the best golfer of, of all time. But I think it's a great example of no one's perfect, including Tiger's dad, as good of a teacher in golf that he was. He just He's not perfect. No one is. So if you can pick up little things through different people in different areas, they're going to have strengths. So if you can take the best of everyone and apply that and discern that to your life, I think it goes it goes a long way. 
And you, you don't want to copycat someone. You want no. to develop your own style. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you really discuss is a shift in mindset. When you're dealing with um, difficult times, um, challenging times, you want to have a shift in the in a mindset. I mean, failing's not fun. Let's no. validate that. No. It's not fun. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it either. Right. Yeah. Um, but it is also it's inevitable that mm-hmm. at some point in time it's going to happen, and how you react to it can really be, um, you know, a, a, a tale of. How, your character. Yeah. It can be a tale of how quickly um, you reach success. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes if you don't accept failure and you don't learn from it, you're not going to reach success yeah. you're in a, in a timely manner. Yeah. How about that? But yeah. how do you think people can shift their mindset when they fail to channeling it into something positive? Yeah. I almost want to use like a visualization. And I like this how. So if you look, if you think of success as building a house, and I think a lot of people look at success and they think of right choices, right choices, right choices, and it's all these bricks that build a house. But in my mind, you need to flip that and understand that a successful house is built by brick by brick by failure. It's like that's what it's built by, and you understand through these failures how to make the right decision eventually. And you don't throw all these failures away. To me, the 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 good thing and the great thing to do is pass them along, and you can allow you know, the next generation or your kids or your friends to not have to go through the, the same hard things that you went through. So if I could visualize something, just understand that success is, is made up by the bricks of failure. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's a, that's a great question. I'm learning a lot from <laughs> <laughs> paying attention to Which I just learned from you back in high school. I'm just regurgitating. Right, right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good one. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to take a, another break. But before we do, let's show some love to um, a person that yes. um, encouraged you to come on my show and, in, and in, encouraged me to come on your yes. podcast. And, and that's Kyra Dorch. And, and yes. she is someone I think she's a former player of mine that I consider her a friend now. She's, yeah. um, she's just a, a wonderful coach and a great mentor to so many young ladies out there. And I admire what she does. And so yeah. we want to definitely give her a shout out. So yeah. Thank you to Kyra and Dorch. I, I just want to say too that every time I get to see Kyra, I feel like it's, you know, maybe once, once or twice a year, but she is always just a joy. Her and her husband both are just a joy to be around. So they're one of those people you see and you want to say hi to. Yeah. So. Thank you, Kyra. Yes, they are energy givers. That yes, is for sure. They are. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and we want to thank Highland Dairy again for sponsoring this segment, along with Greg and Melinda Burnett, as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective with Justin Skinner. Jenny Hopkins and I have Justin Skinner here in the studio with me. And this segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. Hey, they know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey will take care of you. Give them a call, 417-326-7671. They'll take that stress out of buying a car out of there. They will do a coast-to-coast search and find exactly what you are looking for in your price range. Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. West Logging is also sponsoring this segment. Go to westlogging.com or find Danny West on Facebook. He will give you a free consultation, and he's going to treat your land like his own. And we appreciate him along with Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance. So Justin Skinner is here, and we're talking about the mindset 
of Using Failure to Lead to Success. His book and podcast, Professional Failure, talks a little bit about how you can channel um, and shift that mindset into using failure to lead to success. And, you know, that is something that, you know, let's talk a little bit about your inspiration for writing, you know, this book and having this podcast. You know, when you have a message like that that's heavy on your heart, um, it's important to get it out and, and to try and help people. And I admire that about you, and I thank you for it because we need this conversation. But what is your inspiration for actually putting it on paper and getting that message out there? Yeah, I think the inspiration is just, yeah, to, to help other people. Um, again, kind of the book's about, you know, skipping failures. You want to mm-hmm. teach those lessons. So if I can help, you know, young kids or old kids and just get outside myself, I think that's a big part of it. But going back to the inspiration, honestly, it started back, uh, I've got a friend, Peter Estopko, who who started the Kinsman Journal. I don't know if you're familiar with that project, but uh, it's a it's a faith, a men's magazine that's based on, on faith and culture. And he's had he had this idea for a while, and I loved it. And anyway, long story short, I wound up writing an article on it. And um, uh, the article was about infertility and, you know, the journey that Kinder and I, my wife, have been through uh, over the past decade. And it was very therapeutic to write it. So at that at that time, once I got finished, I did. I kind of like in the back of my mind thought, wow, I, I maybe I like writing. Maybe I like the therapeutic aspect of writing. So I just kept writing. And then I was in a writing group um, that had some several authors around the country, and they encouraged me just start writing, see what forms. They taught me kind of how to outline a book. And then we just started writing, and I wrote consistently. And I think I had a goal of four to 500 words a day. And wrote for six months and then wound up getting to the point where I had 35,000 words and I said, what do I do now? And (laughs) then people helped me again and they pushed me in the right direction and then it kind of formed into what it was. And then once it got into the the idea or the, the, the full book form, it was a matter of, well, do I release this out or do I just say, hey, this is a family heirloom and I'm gonna, that's good enough. Um, but there's some, honestly, it's, it's scary and intimidating to, to publish something because you are, you're putting, I'm kind of exposing myself to a lot of ridicule. I I mean, obviously there's been good feedback too, but you're just exposing yourself to critique and exposing your ideas and it can be intimidating, but had a lot of people, Kinder encouraged me, had a lot of other people encourage me and just said, we're going to do it. We're going to put it out and we're going to see what happens. So. I love that. Yeah. Where can people find the book if they want to get a copy of the book, Professional mm-hmm. Failure, or listen to your podcast? Yeah. Well, first of all, if in Springfield, I would say ABC Books uh, on North Glenstone. Um, they've been great, so go to them first if you can't. Um, Barnes & Noble has been great as well. I won't dog them, but mm-hmm. ABC Books if you can. You can get it at Amazon.com as well, and then uh, we've got an audio version on Audible, or Audible as well. It's fantastic. And yeah. the podcast? podcast is on itunes it's on google podcast it's on spotify but just look up and search for the professional failure podcast and i think we are on episode 46 47 and you'll soon be on it as well i'm looking that was a great episode that we recorded so um yeah we've got some really good ones coming up and then you have a website as well website is, reach out to you yeah you can reach out yeah find me um it's it's www.professional-failure.com you can find all the links to the books, all the links to the podcast, and then if you want to reach out and, and ask me a question, feel free to do so. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. All right, well, let's keep talking about failure, and let's talk about some famous athletes. Yeah. All right? You ready for this? Yes. And, and of course, we're going we're gonna to pick one of the most obvious ones that this has been demonstrated over and over and over, but Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, talk about failure. That's what you think about when you think about Michael mm-hmm. Jordan. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Anybody that's screaming, you know, somebody else's name at their radio right now, stop it. Yep. <laughs> Michael yep. Jordan's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, this is, you know, the old story, and everybody knows this story about how he was cut when he was a sophomore. He wasn't tall enough. Um, his coach uh, caught him, said he didn't have the skills or the finesse mm-hmm. of a real basketball player, quote, unquote. And Michael went home and cried that day. But he began an intense training program the next day, and he didn't stop till he made history. One of his most famous quotes, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over in my life, and that is why I succeed, which is one of the most famous quotes of Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love in the whole Michael Jordan story, which I heard all the time growing up because it's it's worth telling, um, but he used the negativity and getting cut as fuel. And I know you've talked about that too. Instead of going home and thinking, you know, maybe this isn't meant for me, maybe, maybe coach is right, I just don't have what it takes. Instead, he thought, you know what, I'm going to work hard and we're going to see what happens. And and through that quote as well, um, he just prepared. He knew how to prepare. And I think that's why he was so successful. He didn't just practice in practice. He practiced outside of practice. And he practiced and he prepared. And then once the game came, he was okay with the result. If he won, he was trying to win. And that's what he wanted. If he lost, then he knew he was prepared. And and he used it. He used it. Yeah. I used to tell you know my players, you know, you say you don't like this feeling. You don't like this feeling yeah. of failure? I said, put it in a little bottle, and yeah. you put it on the shelf, and when you're ready for the next game, you take a little drink of that and let it drive you. Because I love that. Because it is fuel. It yeah, is fuel. definitely. How about Babe Ruth? What do you think? I mean, is he a pretty successful baseball player? I don't player? know if I've ever heard of him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Never let the fear of striking out get in your way, one of his most famous quotes. All right, yeah. Babe Ruth, he's perhaps one of the most you know iconic baseball players ever. Yeah. Uh, 714 home runs. Um but, you know, the interesting thing is that he got it, um, he, he struck out 1,330 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he led the league in strikeouts one time, and he said, every strikeout brings me that much closer to a home run. Mm-hmm. And so you don't remember him for his strikeouts. No. You don't. No. But he had to go through that journey to get to his home runs. Yeah, in order to home run, you have to swing the bat. And when you swing the bat, there's a high probability you're going to miss the ball. So you just have to get to the point where you're okay with that. And, yeah, it's another great example. I mean, Babe Ruth, he was a two-way player in the pros, in the professional baseball circuit. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. But, yeah, I think he – I've heard – I think it's Yogi Berra that said, you know, uh, baseball is half half physical or is it half mental? The other 90% is mental. You know, I butchered it. Anyway, <laughs> basically baseball is like 90% mental. And I think Babe Ruth just understood that. And he wasn't the most physical specimen. If you see him, no. like you would, ne- like you would think he's not—he's behind a desk, or you think he's just not an athlete. Mm-hmm. But I think he just understood the mental side of of baseball, and he was okay with failing. Yes, and, I, and he studied the physics. Yeah, and that's really important too. I yeah, think. that's a good um, point. Yeah, he he did. He definitely did a lot of mental coaching as well. Um, you know, how about Tom Landry? All right, this is, you know, his quote is, a coach is someone who tells you what you don't want to hear, who has you, has you see what you don't want to see uh, so that you can be um, uh, who you need to be and who you should be. Yeah. Um, and that's really true. 
That, yeah. that is. That's really true. And he, he was not an excellent athlete himself, um, but he's an historical figure um, in American football. He really is. Um, you know, he had two Super Bowl victories, five NFC championships. I mean, he holds the records for the most career wins in American football. I mean, Tom Landry, you know, definitely is someone that you look to as as a successful coach. Um, but his first season as coach, he held the record for the lowest number of NFL wins, which was a goose egg, zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the next four seasons, he managed to help his team just win five games. Yeah. Hello. Um, and, you know, it's it's what comes after that, uh, the first five seasons that kind of made him a legend. But, mm-hmm. you know, after five years, you throw a lot of emotion and a lot of energy into coaching. Um, and, and if you, the first five years, you don't have success, that's difficult to stay with yeah. it. Um, but he persevered, determined, yeah. um, and ended up being a legendary coach. Yeah, and it's I think what he did well was he was he was living in the moment. Obviously, he was in the present, and he was learning from the present, but he knew that if he just learned from those those failures early on that it would pay off and it did and i also love what you said too about you know in the quote it talks about how you know a good coach says things that you don't want to hear and i think it's the same for mentors too like you you need to be able to trust someone enough to be able to have them speak into you and say hey you shouldn't be doing that or hey this is a bad habit you need to cut that out and then for you to have enough respect and humility to listen um that's massively important with with any mentor that you have so if anyone's out there looking for someone to do that it could obviously be a parent a coach a friend just find someone that can speak into your life directly and say you shouldn't be doing this and then humble yourself enough to listen because they do want the best for you i like that phrase humble yourself to listen you got to be confident enough to be coachable yeah anybody out there that's listening it's not just about the hours you put in on your sports specific skills or your athletic ability you also have to be coachable. You've got to be yeah. receptive to criticism and be confident enough to be coached. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, I would say there were probably coaches that um, that were critical to you. I mean, you know that that, but you knew they had the, your best interest at heart, and it's a lot easier to listen to them whenever you, you know that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Glenn Cunningham. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and I'm I'm getting a lot of these inf- this information from uh, Playo.com. Thank you so much for for that information. But Glenn Cunningham, when he was young, he was caught in a fire accident um, at his school, and he his family was told that he was not going to live, and if he did live, he would not be able to walk normal ever again, if at all. So. That right there, just, you know, he could have just checked out, um, mm-hmm. and that's it. I, I don't, you know, but he didn't accept that. He didn't accept that. Um, his determination to, to walk and his persistence paid off. He started to walk to school and walk home, and then he ran to school and ran home. Um, later, in college, he decided to go out for the track team, and he made it, and thank goodness he did because um, what a career he had. In February 1934, at uh, Madison Square Garden, he, you know, this is a boy that was not expected to survive and was burned from head to toe. Um, and here he was the um, first one, you know, he was the first one to run a, a four-minute four mile. 4.04 was his time, which was a world record at that time. He also set the world record in the 800 meters and was an Olympian. I mean, this is a true success story. We, we've talked so far about athletes that have had failure in their sport and overcome. This is someone who had failure in life, um, you know, had a setback in life and persevered to become a successful athlete. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I don't know if you're an athlete listening, but if you've ever gotten to the point where you are working out so hard that you just feel like you physically can't go on, you can't move. I know, you know, for me in college, you'd get to that point and it's like, I can't do anything else. Just imagining his story, Mm -hmm. that was how he felt from the beginning. Like, he was fighting that every single day. So for him to overcome, it's really hard for me to imagine the just amount of grit and determination for him to do that and not only have doctors who you know, they they know a lot of things, say, hey, you're not going to walk or run anymore, to have that weighing on you and then still be able to walk, then run, then not only just walk and run, but then set an Olympic record is right. crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that right there, I mean, to be able to not even get encouragement from the scientific community, like yeah. you're, you're not going to be able to walk normal again. Yeah. Um, so I hope he... Uh, you know, That's took some really pictures of his medal and sent it to those. Yes. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, you know, an, another thing that I was looking for was, you know, is things that top athletes have expressed. Um, and, and entrepreneur.com had a great article about seven lessons from top athletes. And, and Hussein Bolt was one of the first ones. And he had a 45 race winning streak. And then he got third place. Mm. And he talked about how there's no such thing as perfection. That was the lesson and takeaway. And we've kind of already talked a little bit about that. No such mm-hmm. thing as perfection. And and that is something that is, um, again, it's so difficult to understand because you strive to be perfect. And that's okay. But when there are times when you fail, you've got to set your expectations accordingly and get back on that path. Yeah. And I, I kind of think about, um, you know, his run and even just like the 100-meter dash. I, I don't know how many steps are in a 100-meter dash, but I know if you ask Usain Bolt, you know, did you run a perfect race? I guarantee he'd be like, well, step three, I kind of, I didn't extend like I wanted to. So even in his, in his mind, that race will never be perfect, but he's competing. And it makes me think of, of golf, too. I know you mentioned the live tour um, earlier, but um, I think I, I was watching someone, it was the PGA, and someone was talking about how, you know, how often to a pro golfer in a round you hit a good shot? And they said, like, three times. Three times I hit a good shot that I want to hit. That blows my mind. Think about all the times that they're competing, they're swinging, and they're failing because they're not doing with it. But they just keep, you keep going. And so, again, back to Usain Bolt, it's like 45 in a row, that's crazy. That's Maybe that's like, <laughs> that's maybe good. you should just retire at that right. point. You know, it's a pretty good streak. <laughs> but the fact that he keeps competing and he's not phased by finishing third because right. the thing is, and it's the same mindset with, you know, Jordan and Tom Brady and all these guys. He finishes third, but he already knows when he finishes third, the next race he's going to win, he's going to win first. That's mm-hmm. just the way they think. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it's interesting you said Tom Brady, too, because my next example comes from quarterback Peyton Manning. Yeah. Um, he won two Super Bowls, right? Um, his his takeaway is don't give up. Um, he appeared in four of them, one, two, um, but he almost decided to not go there. In his rookie season, his team went 3-13. and 13. And I love the NFL. My dad played in the NFL. My uncles played in the NFL. I watch the NFL every single week. I love it. Um, but the NFL is not, not kind when no. you lose. I mean, they're hard on you. I mean, it is a, a population and a fan base that doesn't let you get away with an inch. Mm-hmm. And so he decided, you know, he could have, he could have said, all right, this is not my gig, but he didn't. He stayed with it. And, and, um, Manning was once quoted by saying, it's not wanting to win that makes you a winner. Everybody wants to win. It's refusing to fail. And I like that because that's that mindset shift yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, and I think the biggest, I love Manning, by the way. He, 
out of anyone, I mean, Brady does a good job too, but even off the field, Manning just ha- has charisma and he does SNL skits and things and he's just <laughs> hilarious. So I love Manning, but I think the biggest edge that Manning had was not his ability to throw a football or his ability to run, which maybe he was lacking a little bit in, um, but it was his dad. I mean, his dad had experience in football and he basically had his dad to turn to and say, hey, you know, I'm 3-13 and 13, or I threw like, 20 interceptions this year and only 15 touchdowns. And his dad would say, you know what? It's okay. What'd you learn? Like, okay, you're going to be better next year. I think having that mentor and his dad who had been through the fire, and I don't know that his dad ever won a Super Bowl or even made it to a Super Bowl, um, but just having his dad's wisdom and saying, I've been there. I understand what you're going through. Work through it. Don't give up. I think that was that was the greatest asset that Manning had. And, and I think that same mindset goes into our next one, and that's Serena Williams and yeah. how she talks about staying positive. Yeah. You know, don't listen to the haters. Don't listen to the critics. You mm-hmm. know, be coachable by your coaches and the ones that um, have that have your best interest. But, you know, she has been – she's lost matches that yeah. she wasn't supposed to lose and, and on, you know, international television. I mm-hmm. mean, she's gotten – um, a lot of criticism on different things, you know, after different matches. And she's like, if you know anything about me, quote unquote, I hate to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always said that I hate losing more than I like winning, which is a very, you know, a common quote by a lot of yeah. athletes. But shifting that mindset again, letting failure um, defeat you is one avenue to go, or you can learn from it and improve. And that's the avenue she chooses. Yeah. And I would say just because you hate to lose doesn't mean that you will avoid losing. Right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. No I mean, it just does. And just because yeah. you love winning doesn't mean you always win. Right. Um, but again, it goes back to what I feel like you said earlier. You just use it as fuel and you use it to, to get back in the gym or work out. And I think Serena did that in an amazing way, too. And she's, I watched her play tennis. I love watching tennis um, again. But yeah, she was dominant because she prepared well. And then she, honestly, I feel like she just didn't have pressure when she played. She just knew she was prepared. And it didn't matter if she was down one set or down five games to one, she just knew that she was going to compete. That's, it's true, but definitely evident in her actions. Yeah. Using failure as fuel is another one, so how about that? Yeah. Believing in yourself, learning from your mistakes, and knowing when to change directions. And I think a lot of those, um, again, entrepreneur.com, thank you for that article. And, um, you know, Justin, there, this is a conversation that needs to continue. And yeah. I, I thank you again for making this happen with your book and with your podcast um, listen to um, his podcast, read his book. Um, it is something that I think will really um, speak to you and help you in your life. So yeah. professional failure. So I want to thank you for, for being here tonight. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I just want to speak to you too, because I know you have directed the lives of, of so many students and athletes and you're still doing it now. Um, so thank you for all the sacrifices you've thank made. You. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you very much. Yeah. I need to have you on more often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to move into our post-game talk sponsored by Story Construction. Go to Story, S-T-O-R-E-E dot com for more information. Our post-game talk failure. It's inevitable. It happens. It's growth. Taking on failures with the mindset of growth and channeling failure into wisdom and strength will serve you well. Pity, sadness, blaming others, transference, displacement, anger. That is when failure wins. If you use failure as a path to success, you will be admired as strong and an empowered human. Watch the movie Meet the Robinsons. Celebrate failure. It truly leads to success, and I believe in you. From Dr. Tommy Bernetti, always said, self-doubt is mightier than the fastest feet and the strongest muscles. It will win every time. Believe in yourself. That's how champions do it. And I'm going to tell you as I do every week, be a good human and live your life like a champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been 
a coach's perspective.